0: Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. In our three-part series with award-winning author of American Overdose, Chris McReal, we took an in-depth look at some of the policies and practices of the FDA that contributed to our nation's worst health crisis in history. I spoke with the then chair of the FDA advisory committee, and I was really surprised at his response to some of my questions in light of how many people died overdosing on opioids approved by the FDA during his time on the advisory committee. It seemed as though the FDA was living in the past. They were uh, stuck in what I, I feel is an inflexible mindset without regard to the impact of the opioid crisis on our country over a 20-year period. So I decided to dig a little deeper to find out if the impression I was left with of the FDA was still true today. I'm delighted that on today's show, we'll be talking with Dr. Rayford Brown, who for the last five years has been the chair of the FDA's Anesthetic and Analgesic Drug Products Advisory Committee. So, Dr. Brown, welcome. Good to talk to you. Over the last five years, you've held a very important advisory role as the chair of an advisory committee for the FDA. Can you tell us about that committee and its overall role in advising the FDA on drug approvals?
0: So the advisory committee um, gets much information about individual uh, agents and um uh, and issues relating, in the case of our committee, to uh, analgesics and anesthetic products. Um, we, we likely don't get all the information that is available. Um, we try to make the decisions uh, based on the information that is uh, presented to us, and with the knowledge that the FDA may or may not um, listen to anything that, that we have to say.
1: The committee, the advisory committee, is a group of individuals that are specialists, experts in their field that are gathered together to research this area and then advise the FDA. But the FDA can do whatever they want.
0: They can, um, they can consider and approve a drug without uh, calling an advisory committee. They can um, sit and listen to the advisory committee and the advisory committee can say, Um, One thing, and based on their scientific judgment, only to have the FDA do something 180 degrees. So,
1: the FDA has access to some of the world's top pain management experts and has the option to use their advice or ignore it altogether. And as we learned in our last episode, 75% of their budget is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Some suggest that sets up a conflict. So, the FDA approved Opana, a very dangerous opioid, after they had rejected it three years earlier. The only thing that changed was their trial process. And so, I was curious about that, and I actually asked the chair of the advisory committee at the time if the FDA's approval process had failed the American people in approving Opana. And here's what he said. He said, the FDA approval process worked fine for Opana. The approval process is designed to approve drugs that are safe and effective when used as intended. Opana meets those criteria. Opana got into trouble when people started injecting it to get high and developed limb necrosis and other horrible problems. That's like saying we shouldn't approve cars because a few people drove their car off a cliff. So, can you comment on that, Doctor?
0: With all due respect to uh, Dr. Katz, um, who who is a, a leading expert? I, I really would have to disagree with with that. Um, the uh, opioids are a, a special class of drug. Um, they we consider a, the approval process, the risks versus the benefits of the drugs that we're putting on the market. So it is not germane to say that um, that these drugs are safe and effectively used as intended when you're discussing opioids, um, because there's too high a risk that they will not, uh, under the present set of circumstances in America, in the United States, uh, in America, in 2019, there's too high a risk that um, that they will not be used as, as intended, and and um, uh, so I, I really, really disagree with uh, Dr. Katz.
1: While Dr. Brown suggests drugs should be evaluated in the context of the opioid crisis, those within FDA leadership don't share his belief. Why hasn't the FDA changed their process? Why is their process so fixed on evaluating a drug based upon what it says on the label and that it's uh, just how it performs in context of that short and concise definition and that it's not dangerous in that context? And they don't look at it outside of that context. And I, I think I got that right, didn't I, doctor?
0: Exactly, and uh, you're exactly right, Greg. Um, the The big problem with the FDA is that is that whereas their mission is to protect the public health, um, their belief seems to be that their mission is to protect the the profit margin of the pharmaceutical industry um, in regard to um, in regard to opioids, and their um, their actions um, are problematic in that uh, they consider only the issues associated with the, uh, the immediate drug that they, that they have in front of them and not the public health issues associated with putting another opioid on the market.
1: Your words are pretty damning there. How do you support that, that their, their actions are really supporting the profits of the pharmaceutical industry?
0: well you can you can look at the report um, of the National Academy uh, of medicine which was um, actually produced in response to request by the a past commissioner of the F of the fda um, and they say exactly the same thing that that um, that I've been
1: the FDA asked the National Academics of Science, Engineering, and Medicine to convene a committee to update the state of the science on pain research, care, and education in order to identify actions the FDA and others can take to respond to the opioid epidemic, with a particular focus on informing the FDA's development of a formal method for incorporating individual and societal considerations into a risk-benefit framework for opioid approval and monitoring. Now, that's a mouthful, but as Dr. Brown shared, the report was published in 2017, but no actions have been taken on their recommendations from that report.
0: The public health is the important uh, issue, and that that consideration of the public health has to uh, be uh, the first thing and the last thing to be thought about with these um, with these drugs.
1: But there's some checks and balances that are in place here that, that should work. Like the FDA has this risk evaluation and mitigation strategy. And, you know, that's been out there for quite some time to protect the American people. So w- why doesn't that work?
0: I'm sorry to say, having worked on the REMS program for about five years, trying to make it work, that that it is not completely effective. And the, the more potent the opioid, the, le- the less effective it is.
1: What is REMS?
0: It's a, essentially a set of rules um, uh, that are created by industry to educate the people that are taking a particular drug and the people that are prescribing a particular drug. So, for example, if for uh, OPANA, the Rims program um, has things like webinars that um, inform uh, a physician about the risks of uh, the individual drug and um, and also various pieces of paper that can be given to um, the actual recipient of the prescription that will ed- educate them about the risks of it. And unfortunately, the drive, the drive to use the drug is much more powerful than uh, the need to educate oneself a- a- about the drug. And the m- more important is that the FDA has never made it a requirement of of clinicians um, that they actually educate themselves about the uh, about the risks of these drugs. Um, in 2012, when the RIMS uh, program first came before an advisory committee, it was voted overwhelmingly that, that RIMS should be a requirement. Um, and on two separate occasions, to subsequent occasions, um, when it, when rims has come before uh, the, an advisory committee, um, the same thing has has operated. It should be a requirement. The FDA has not um, has not produced that or required that, and that's a problem because the people that are um, that are causing the most harm in their prescribing um, practices. Are not the people that are uh, following the RIMS uh, guidelines.
1: So in uh, 2013, the FDA approved Zohydro ER, a powerful opioid 10 times the potency of Vicodin. The FDA's advisory committee voted at the time 11 to 2 not to approve that drug. The FDA approved it anyhow over intense criticism. And Dr. Katz, who again was uh, on our show here uh, during the American Overdose uh, series, he had this to say on the topic. The Zohydro story is very simple a tempest in a teapot, only politics. Zohydro is simply long acting hydrocodone, no different from the dozens of similar formulations already on the market, such as morphine, oxycodone, oxymorphone etc. These are all the same. There was no legal or medical reason not to approve it given dozens of similar formulations on the market. To me, once again that would suggest a mindset that's set 20 years ago and without the benefit of the backdrop of everything that we've learned from the opioid epidemic. Has the mindset changed from, you know, your viewpoint as the chair of the FDA's anesthetic and analgesic drug products advisory committee?
0: I would say no, the folks at the the f d a uh, reject the the notion that mistakes have been uh, made in the past. Um, Dr. Gottlieb came as close as anyone to uh, admitted that uh, mistakes had been made in the approval process, but then really did not one thing to um, take care of those. That those mistakes were uh, remedied. Um, the the problem with the Zohydro, on the other hand, is not politics. It's the the message that the FDA sends by approving a, a, an, a another opioid. At the time that Zohydro was was approved, hundreds of thousands of people were dying from from opioids. Hydrocodone um, is one of the largest um, prescribed uh, opioids that, uh, that is available. So did Zolidro have any kind of abuse deterrent formulation associated with it when the, the FDA was at that point requiring other opioids to have it? Well, no, it did not. And at the point that, that the FDA approved it. They were similarly telling um, telling other manufacturers that we don't we don't want to create new um, opioids that are uh, that don't have some mechanism for reducing the risk of uh, abuse. Um, so they're saying one thing, and then in fact that they're doing the other thing. Um, so hydro was i think a turning point in um, people's realization that the fDA might not be capable of doing the right thing um, and whether that was and whether that was because of industry influence or desire to protect themselves from admitting old mistakes is unknown
1: well, you thought it would be a turning point, but it doesn't appear to have been i mean. You know, over the last 20 years or so, they've approved, uh, I believe it's 27 new opioids, and a powerful new opioid by the name of Desuvia was just approved in 2018, and it received a lot of criticism. Your committee voted 10 to 3 to actually approve that drug. How did that happen when I know you were vehemently opposed to the approval of desuvia? So tell us what desuvia is. You could just share with us a little bit about Desuvia and then the basis by which it was up for approval.
0: Desuvia is a formulation of C fentanyl, which is a very powerful congener of fentanyl, a semi synthetic opioid. Um, it's about, um, let's say, a thousand times more potent than, uh, than morphine. And um, it, in the past, uh, C fentanyl has been um, a drug of abuse, especially for uh, health care providers, um, in part because C-fentanyl in the past has only been really used in uh, healthcare care uh, facilities, and anesthesia and for surgery and the like. This is a drug that is much too powerful to be uh, on the general market.
1: So, just a little bit of additional clarity about this particular uh, product. It was packaged as a single dose, was it not? And it was uh, specifically proposed to be administered strictly by healthcare workers, and mostly it was targeted to the those in the military, right in in the field use.
0: Well, that that was the magical thinking that was espoused by by the sponsor. Um, in in general terms, once an opioid is, or any drug, is uh, approved by the FDA, it can be used however anyone wants to use it that it has the power to prescribe the drug. So by saying that uh, it's only going to be used in healthcare organizations um, and expecting that that's going to stick, is, um, quite honestly, insanity. It's been disproven uh, on many, many uh, occasions. The military um, did push this drug and may have uh, played a role in it, and people like you and me may never know what conversations went on relative to the approval of this drug, Um, but... In looking at the at the drug closely, um, the indication for for this drug, that is use in battle um, would it, it would not provide the level of analgesia that would be required for someone having a severe uh, injury on the battlefield. Let me give you an example. Um, one of our soldiers uh, is walking along and steps on a landmark sustains a terrible injury um, and, um, and of course, has severe uh, pain associated with that trauma. Well, what sense does it make to put a pill under their tongue that is going to require an hour to provide analgesia when you're going to put an IV in and give a, a drug morphine that, that produces uh, Allergy within uh, within two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. Uh, it it makes no sense. It's not clear that the the armed forces really understood the uh, what they were buying when they when they bought this drug. Uh, it is clear that the sponsor knew what they were selling.
1: The FDA also has this Drug Safety and Risk Management Advisory Committee. And they provided their input on the risks of Dasuvia in an approval meeting in uh, in May, and all but three members of that committee were actually disinvited to the meeting in October.
0: The chair um, has other um, requirements. Uh, I was in uh, San Francisco uh, giving talks about opioids to. Um, folks at the American Society of Anesthesiologists National Convention. Um, at the time, the uh, the FDA was aware that I was, uh, was going to be uh, not available. Um, uh, they knew six months before the meeting um, that I was not going to be available and they chose to have the meeting anyway.
1: How How did you feel after
0: that? I have come to uh acknowledge that um that the FDA operates uh in a way that is not necessarily uh compatible with the, with the public health and I wasn't uh there and I, I have been a, a a proponent of the public health and I have sp- been an outspoken proponent of the public health. And therefore, it was not surprising to me that uh, that they would do something like that.
1: A November statement by the former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, outlined Congress's directive to the FDA to think differently about opioids as a drug class in enacting novel and specific authorities that enable the FDA to require post-market studies, to evaluate the efficacy of opioids, if we have concerns that the products may not be as effective as previously thought, also to consider risks associated with misuse and abuse of opioids as a factor in how we make pre- and post-market regulatory decisions, also requiring opioids to be sold in unit dose packaging, and to require that certain opioids be dispensed with packaging or systems that enable the drugs to be safely disposed. Now, these all seem really illogical. Why wasn't this in place back like in 2003, when it first became clear that the opioid crisis was emerging?
0: Scott Gottlieb's uh, statement gets to the issue of regulatory authority of the FDA, and in general terms, um, over, over the years, throughout, the the development of the opioid crisis, the FDA has responded to questions about its behavior by saying it lacked regulatory authority. What was interesting in 2017, when the Mason Report came out, uh, uh, the National Academy, uh, and these were not just physicians, they were uh, attorneys, uh, constitutional lawyers, uh, epidemiologists, uh, a group of experts looked at the regulatory authority of the FDA and noted uh, in 16 uh, independent uh, processes that the FDA already had the regulatory authority that was required to change the way they looked at, um, at opioids, dramatically changing uh, the way they did that, and they should do it rapidly. and. Thus far, they have not.
1: In March, you called for a moratorium on all FDA opioid approvals. So, what's been their response?
0: Well, they, they thus far they have acknowledged that they that they received our forty nearly forty page uh, document uh, that based on in in part on the Mason report uh, and. And other, otherwise, other than acknowledging that that they have received it, they have said nothing, and they will say nothing, and they will try to bury uh, this um, this document. My thinking, and the thinking of uh, Sid Wolf from Public Citizen, who was a co-author of the of this moratorium document, is that um, the FDA has little understanding of their place in in causing the, the problem, and because they don't have an understanding of it, that they should not approve uh, further opioids uh, until such time as uh, they change the mechanism, the approval mechanism.
1: Doctor, you've been very outspoken. Uh, against some of the policies and practices of the FDA and uh, going so far as to call for a, a moratorium on their approval of opioids going forward. What's next in your uh, campaign here?
0: Well, um, I don't think that this is uh, going to go away. Uh, this problem is going to go away, away and I'm going to continue to bring to the attention of the public um, the uh, continued inability of the agency to implement a new f- framework for the approval of opioids. Um, one thing that I want you to remember is that that historically, uh, opioid abuse in popu- in large populations has been a recurrent theme uh, for four thousand years. And unless we deal with it in a an aggressive fashion, Um, we may think that we're getting the best of the problem only to find that 20 or 10 years uh, in the future we'd have the same problem.
1: Doctor, I want to thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it.
0: It's a pleasure talking to you, Greg.
1: We've been joined today by Dr. Rayford Brown, the chair of the FDA's Anesthetic and Analgesic Drug Products Advisory Committee, who has shared his insights into the FDA's policies and practices that have contributed to our nation's worst health crisis in our history. So, what have we learned? We learned that not much has changed with the FDA's drug approval process in the last 20 years as the opioid epidemic has descended upon communities throughout our country. We learned that in 2017, a committee report was published from the National Academics of Science, Engineering, and Medicine at the FDA's request to recommend actions the FDA and others could take to respond to the opioid epidemic. To date, the FDA has taken no action on those items. And we learned that even people who chair influential advisory committees are routinely shut out from sharing their views and voting at critical meetings if their opinions do not agree with that of the drug manufacturers who are seeking FDA approval for opioids. We'll close with a quote from Dr. Brown. He said, I think that the FDA has learned nothing. The modus operandi of the agency is that they talk a good game and then nothing happens. Working directly with the agency for the last five years, as I sit and listen to them in meetings, all I can think about is the clock ticking and how many people are dying every moment that they're not doing anything. My name is Greg McNeil. Thank you for tuning in to this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit Cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.